Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined on the other line by EJ Snyder, the site's lead draft analyst. EJ, how you doing? I'm good. It's Thanksgiving week. Got one more day of work this week. We're recording on a Tuesday night, and I uh, got a good beer here. The Bears picked up a win, so lots of lots of arrows pointing up. I got nothing to complain about. Yeah, man, we're going to have a little bit of fun today, too. We're going to talk some football, we're going to talk some Giants, we're going to talk some Lions, but uh, for the most part, I think we're just going to have a little bit of fun with today, talk about some Thanksgiving food, which is one of my favorite topics of all time. But first, let's get the beers going. You say you got a good one. What do you got tonight? Uh, so it, it's kind of a revisit. Uh, earlier in the series, I had... Iron Horse's Irish Death, which is a great beer from the Northwest. Um, and I said at that point that they do a variant, come the fall, come the holidays, uh, called Mocha Death. So what they do is they take their Irish Death uh, and they add espresso, cocoa, um, espresso and cocoa to the Irish Death, making it Mocha Death. And um, Irish Death is a great beer. Um, Mocha Death might be the perfect Northwest beer because, look, it's got coffee notes and beer two things northwesterners really love um and this one just works a lot of times coffee and beer kind of feels like it's fighting um this one is just absolutely well balanced i love seeing it in the grocery store every year when it comes out so it doesn't have any tie into either game other than that it's available and i found it and i get to drink one tonight what do you have well, I am going back to a brewery that I've brought on once before, one of my favorite beers, the uh, Kentucky Breakfast Stout that I brought on. Um, I am bringing on Founders Dirty Bastard. Uh, it is a scotch ale, and it is one of the better scotch ales that I've ever had. It's a little high in alcohol for a scotch ale, at least my recollection of what they normally run, 8.5%. But uh, it's got a... A uh, fun little plaid label, and it has a little warning here. It says it ain't for the wee lads. <laughs> and so Founders is a uh, Michigan brewery. So in honor of uh, the Bears traveling to Michigan for Thanksgiving, I thought I would bring uh, Founders back on. So let's get them going. Yeah, let's do that. And um, <laughs> I forgot to mention, I have to open this one carefully because the top of the can's a little folded. Looks like the six pack may have gotten dropped in transit, but I think we're okay here. Um, oh, maybe not. Oh, there we go. Sorry, I had to finger assist open the top there. It was a little stuck. But uh, this is a Jeff Burkus approved beer. Do you know why? Uh, have I had it before? Uh, no, well, you may have, but. Uh, it says, so they list the malts, and then it says hops, in parentheses, does it matter? IBU is 11. <laughs> Excellent. This actually has 50 IBUs, so it's uh, pretty high for bitterness units, but I think it's actually balanced out pretty well. Uh, again, I've had a number, this is not my first six-pack, let's just put it that way. <laughs> of that it's a beer, beer that ever. I keep coming back to. <laughs> Uh, yeah. of this beer I, I keep coming back to this one it's a it's a good one it's a good one to have and, it, and it's hard to find scotch ales and i find them to be um pretty enjoyable regardless of where you're at on the calendar and so i just uh, i find myself kind of seeing it and being like okay yeah let's do this yeah 
we've we don't have too uh too much of a shortage of scotch ales out here they're certainly fewer and farther between i find them to be kind of like browns i had a brown on the on mm-hmm. the podcast you know it's you don't find them all that often but yeah they're pretty enjoyable when you do so um yeah here's to it i'm gonna take a take a sip i've had this one before but boy it's it's just great well let's uh let's get into the giants game a little bit um we were talking before we started recording and and uh it's one of those games where it uh was a comfortable win right up until that last touchdown which we'll get to in a little bit when we talk a little bit about eddie jackson but it was a comfortable win that didn't make you feel very good and that, that's how I was describing what I thought the game was going to be when I was on the live stream with uh, Stephen and, and Sam in the morning. It just seemed like the Bears had one unit that was a good unit, uh, the defense, and the Giants have zero good units. And so yeah, generally when you have one side of the ball uh, versus zero sides of the ball that are good, yeah, you're probably going to win that game. So uh, it kind of went exactly like I thought, but just to kind of recap, uh, for those that already forgot how that game went, scoreless first quarter, uh, Daniel Jones uh, threw a three-yard touchdown pass to make it seven to nothing, and then Bears drove late and kind of you know, so maybe some clock management issues, but kicked a Eddie Pinheiro twenty-six-yard field goal to make it seven to three at half. Looked like they were finally figuring something out though. Uh, got the ball back to start the second half and uh, Trubisky immediately led the bears down the field for a touchdown, uh, very quick uh, passes to Allen Robinson for the most part. And he capped it off with a 32 yard touchdown to go up 10 to seven. And then the bears scored the next two times with a Pinero field goal and another Mitchell Trubisky uh, touchdown this time rushing, which was uh, very nice to see him willing to uh, tote the ball a couple times. We can maybe talk about that in a little bit. Uh, looked like the defense was going to clamp down and and uh, kill the Giants' hopes, but a defensive breakdown, and I think sure looked like uh, Eddie Jackson maybe misplaying the ball, allowed Daniel Jones to convert a fourth and 18 uh, to get a 23-yard touchdown past the Golden Tate, which... Uh, made it a closer game, 19 to 14. And that also meant that the Bears did not cover the spread, wah, which wah, is annoying. Wah. Yeah, it's annoying. Uh, as Sam and I both predicted that they would do so. But uh, Bears uh, gave the ball back and then immediately uh, were able to uh, force a, a, a change of possession on downs and then. Down the ball to get out. So they uh, improve to five and six. They are within one game of getting back to 500. They have a very winnable game uh, on Thanksgiving, which we'll talk about after the break. But big picture stuff before we get into a couple specific topics on this win against the Giants. Game didn't feel terribly surprising in any way. Um it felt actually maybe a little bit too much to script, uh, especially that fourth quarter touchdown. Feels like the Bears are uh, almost slated at this point. If you're betting and thinking about spreads, you should just kind of count on the Bears giving up one late score. They seem to do it fairly regularly. Uh, Daniel Jones looked about like we thought he did, he or, or like we thought he would. Um, threw the ball decently. Definitely gave the Bears some opportunities to to grab some. Bears um, didn't oblige him on that, which was a bummer. Um, Saquon Barkley looked good, but not great, 
which is par for the course this year. And yeah, the Giants defense didn't look particularly capable uh, either. And we had talked about most of those things on last week's preview show. So not a ton of surprises. Um, Bears come out with a win. Uh, just felt overall like a pretty forgettable game. I'm glad that the Bears picked up a, a W, but um, nothing here really stood out as either great or terrible. Yeah, I think it's one of those where when you kind of have the game snuffed out, where you got to have it figured out, you know, sort of like, uh, I don't know, Buster Screen uh, sniffing out a, a Saquon Barkley pitch or something, right? Like, you just in the backfield, you, you get a tackle for loss, you kind of stand up, you're like, yeah, I know, that's that's kind of what we expected. And uh, that's what we covered on the show last week. And so we, there's not a lot that stands out that we, we feel like we're – like we missed or anything, but there's a couple things that I, I think kind of stood out. A uh, couple of them are negative. Uh, we're not trying to be negative after a win, but I think there's things that we need to talk about just in terms of big picture stuff. But the first one's positive, and hey, uh, I don't know if you noticed this, EJ, but play action works. Yeah, if I hadn't noticed, um, you reminded me via text and on Twitter. Uh, but I had noticed. Um, yeah, we'd talked about this. We've been talking about this as a theme since about week two. Um, we we'd talked about it generally as a trend in the league even before that, but specifically sort of wanting the Bears to employ more of it and seeing very few examples. And then a couple of notable examples in like weeks three and four. Uh, again, not a ton of them, but when they used it, uh, it worked very, very well. So we've been harping on that for a long time, and it certainly felt like, again, don't have numbers in front of me, but it felt like they used it more often um, and more regularly, and that it was quite effective. Uh, The thing I noticed the most about the play-action plays was Mitchell Trubisky was able to sort of fade back into a very clean pocket and have some time, was able to have some time and some space to survey the scene, and given where he is in his development or lack thereof, right now that's the best possible um outcome for for mitch off a snap is to get back have a little bit of space and a little bit of time i think it's that way for most quarterbacks but most notably for him right now that's almost necessary for him to produce and given the fact that he got the time and space he produced he put up some pretty good throws on a bunch of those plays so yeah play action is a welcome addition um and a welcome regular in the bears play calling rotation hope it continues yeah i was struck by when i was watching uh, actually, the Niners <laughs> game uh, with Jimmy Garoppolo, who you know, I don't think is an elite quarterback by any stretch of the imagination, but the amount of success he was having on play action and just how good of a run game they have there in San Francisco and you know something to aspire to, I guess, or something for Nagy to study in the offseason as to how, you know, how, can, how can you build a running game like this. But the, the, the best throws that he made of the night were when he just – was rolling out sitting back there with nothing uh, bothering him at all. And, you know, wide open throw that wide open throw to Kittle for that huge touchdown. Sure. It was fantastic. It was great. Uh, but you know, no pressure in his face. It wasn't like he, uh, was rushed at all. And that's, that's what quarterbacks want. And so when you're able to give Trubisky a clean pocket, when you're able to give him, uh, a little extra half step moment, uh, of separation, from the linebackers and you know he's going to be able to hit those intermediate throws we've been talking about it all year and it just has seemed so obvious to us and hopefully that means that 
eventually it's obvious to the people that are scheming up the plays and calling the plays because uh, it's fun. It's fun to watch him actually let it rip. And uh, I know that he had a couple of pretty terrible decisions and pretty terrible throws today. Uh, well, at least the one was pretty terrible where he just decided to chuck it downfield and just basically threw it to the free safety. The play by Ogletree, that's a pretty rangy linebacker. That's probably not great route separation with Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller. Um, I don't know. I, I don't feel like that was as bad as, as it initially looked when I went back and kind of looked at the play. But overall, I think what we're seeing is uh, at least some surges from the offense that you're hoping you can kind of bottle up and, and say, okay, wh- wh- why is this working? How do we make more of it? And, and uh, I think play action has always been the answer, but I think play action is uh, starting to get implemented in the game plan more. And that makes me very excited. Yeah, it's it's just welcome all the way around. You talked about San Francisco, and I've I've certainly watched a bunch of the San Francisco offense this year. Um, in terms of you know how they do what they do, well, one of the things they do is do all the very little things well, and the Bears offense has struggled mightily with that on pretty much all fronts, and that's everything from linemen holding their blocks and getting the correct angle and pinching when they need to to um, how Mitch positions himself. We we all saw that sort of lazy half-option pitch that never had a chance a couple of weeks ago, and it was largely because of his positioning. And what the Niners do really, really well is, A, make something look very obvious as if they're going to do something to sort of set the defense up, then do another thing. So it's not even necessarily misdirection. It's just we stack a look, make you think that this guy is the primary option because we've motioned him or where we put him, and then, hey, we're going to actually throw it to the guy that you thought was the blocker. Um, just leaves the defense off balance. They're always kind of guessing, thinking they know, and then finding out, oh, they're going to go somewhere else. So that definitely keeps the defense off balance. And then all those little things, the angles, the um, where the ball is thrown, when the ball is thrown, what the quarterback does with his footwork to sort of move uh, defenders around before he lets the ball go. All of those things are done really, really well in San Francisco, and the result is a really nice offense, uh, a tremendously good running game, which we've not seen, um, and that's that's sort of our segue to our second point. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you should just go into it, but our second point is uh... – Hey, man, we've got some serious running game issues. I mean, we could have been talking about this for a long time. We talked about it a little bit with David Montgomery conversation last week where, you know, despite being a, a guy that's running hard and, and looking good in, in moments, he is averaging, I think, now less than three and a half yards of carry. And that's just that's just not a good number. And, you know, you've made the point several times that you'd love to see what this guy – looks like if he's not getting hit in the backfield on you know 50 percent of his carries and i think that's a we, we got to talk about this man like what is going on is it as simple as we have a really weak link on the offensive line which was you know when kyle long was in there and unfortunately just not the kyle long that we expect to see and replaced by someone who quite frankly, isn't much of an upgrade over what we were seeing from Kyle Long. Is it simple as 
one weak link or is it that this entire offensive line has somehow taken a step back or is it scheme or is it a combination well i think running games in general are always a combination they're certainly at the most basic level a combination of the offensive line and the running back um, those two things have to work in concert. They have to understand each other. You, if you listen to great running backs talk about how it is they run and um, when they're most successful, it's because they understand what the people in front of them are doing, um, and those people understand what they're doing as well. When you get that synergy or that cooperation is when you see the best possible pieces of running game. But some other things you you alluded to, well, many other things that influence the running game, but the Bears' line, for the most part, wasn't built to be great run blockers. It's more of a pass-blocking line. Um, certainly Leno fits that description. Um, Whitehair is, a, I think, a good and powerful run blocker. Um, he's also a, a very good uh, technician on, on pass protection and has shaded towards that. And Massey more of a mauler but has worked very hard on his pass protection but that right side was a thing uh, you mentioned kyle long right kyle long was the one exception to that rule he was clearly a better run blocker than he was a pass blocker and he set the tone with uh nastiness with finishing with protecting his quarterback he was the enforcer on that line both physically and mentally and really kind of you know had guys hook up and pull behind him and when you're not getting that interior push at, at one of the spots or both of the spots, either guard and center um, or guard and tackle for more of an outside zone look, it's very difficult to generate space. And this line, for whatever reason, whether it's the loss of that the mental set or you know Kyle Long's physical domination when he was healthy, um, they're not able, for the most part, to generate gaps and they have to play together to do it, but it is set by individual effort. And the result is Montgomery has very few open looks. When he does have open looks, for the most part, I've heard people say that he's not hitting the right hole. Um, there's no hole to hit for the most mm -hmm. part, so I don't think he's hitting the wrong hole. And early, even in this game, in the Giants game, there were a couple nice runs, like a 10-yarder and like a 7-yarder, where he cruised through a hole and you know slammed into a guy and you know fell forward another two or three yards and you're like hey that's that's a good chunk those are the kind of plays that are going to keep an offense on schedule and in short yardage on later downs which is exactly what you want you know second and four third and two those are all great yardage downs for an offense there's plenty of plays in the playbook and you can really open it up and do what you want so when he gets a hole again he's running hard he's a talented guy it just we'd like to see more of that and for the most part those holes have not been there with regularity and that makes it very very difficult especially for a young guy who's still learning into the league yeah it's uh it's it's interesting to see what a guy does with great blocking right because you've had great offensive lines that have been able to buoy you know, replacement level talent and you've had great running backs. I mean, shoot Saquon Barkley, right? Like what was he doing against the bears this, this last week? Nothing. Right. He had a drop pass, which whew, whew, that could have yeah. went for something. Yeah. Uh, he had the one nice run late in the game uh, where he kind of broke away. And for the most part, he was bottled up, right? He didn't have anywhere to run. Imagine him behind, 
you know, imagine him instead of Ezekiel Elliott, right? Yeah. Like it, it's just it's one of those things where they really do work in concert, and it's frustrating to see a guy that you, you know, he was the first pick uh, of the Bears draft, right? And so it's the guy that you project, and it's running backs. So he's in a you know, clear path to carries, right? So you project him uh, in, a, in a strong feature role, which is exactly what he's been given, and you, you, you want to see results. But, you know, they haven't been there, but I, I'm a little worried about Nagy's scheme because it doesn't feel like he's put enough emphasis on the running game, and I think he needs to bring somebody in to help him out with that i think hiring a running game coordinator is a really smart move for him and i hope that that is something that he thinks about and pursues in the offseason uh but i it's it i really do think it comes down to offensive line play and i boy lucas is going to be starting this week instead of bobby massey i would assume with a high ankle sprain if that's the correct diagnosis yep and so um the right side of that offensive line, which is normally where you have the more powerful blockers, you have very much inexperienced offensive linemen. And so against the Lions, who at least have some competent defensive linemen, uh, you know, it might not be there. I'm not sure. Yeah, and you mentioned a point about creativity or really scheme. Um, certainly, I think a running game coordinator would help depending on the latitude that person was given. Um, but a lot of Nagy's run designs have not been creative. His pass designs are much more creative and somewhat varied than his run designs are. Right. And again, it's it's difficult to say how how a certain play is designed because if it gets mashed at the point of attack and, and the line doesn't execute you know, what's drawn up or they're not able to execute what's drawn up, you never really see what that play would have looked like um, in its clear or desired state. Let's put it that way. So, you know, it, it, you know, I, it, to me, it does come down to a lot of Nagy running so much, play, uh, so much out of shotgun. Yeah. And you see, you know, the best running games right now, you know, San Francisco, they're running mostly under center. You see Baltimore, they're running a lot of pistol. Yep. And, and I think that there's, there is an important point to that, right? Because you can have where the handoff happens, that, that mesh point can change so much if you're under center or if you, even if you give yourself a little bit of room under pistol. And so when you're back in shotgun, there's not a lot that you can do. And, and you're starting from kind of that same mesh point. Yeah, I would agree. And, and San Francisco also has had great success out of the pistol. The play I was thinking of or, or referencing earlier is a pistol play. And they took the wide receiver, um, motioned him into an offset pistol set next to Garoppolo. And the guy they have in the slot is their fullback, who, you know, a lot of people said, oh, my God, I can't believe they're paying a fullback so much money. Look, he's a very talented guy. Mm-hmm. But the obvious set or the, the tip to the defense is, hey, why'd you motion that wide receiver into the backfield if you're not going to give him a carry? You know, uh, we're we're going to be keying on him, and you got this fullback here in the slot. He's definitely set up to block. Hey, we know what's going to happen, right? He's going to try and throw a, bro- a block and spring this guy. Instead, he throws kind of an Ole block, um, and he turns into the primary receiver. The fullback right. turns into the primary receiver. So it's a it's a pure deception to to basically get him a favorable matchup, have a defender 
contact him thinking he's doing one thing and he he slips that and then he's wide open because you know the guy wasn't in coverage the guy was basically trying to oppose what he thought was a block he slips that he's through for a easy six eight yard completion again garoppolo's got plenty of space but that was out of pistol and a lot of it has to do with alignment set and what you make the defense think you're going to do regardless of of how you do it Nagy seems much more straightforward than that if we're being kind yeah, and just for those of you that maybe haven't watched games other than Bears games or have no idea what we're talking about with formations, I think most people are comfortable with the concept of shotgun formation where the quarterback is a few yards back and get the center snaps it to him. Uh, that way, pistols, basically, the quarterback's lined up about halfway between shotgun and under center. So it's just uh, a variation that became really popular, actually, with uh, Harbaugh and Kaepernick, I think, was kind of when I started seeing it just take off a little bit so or at least a, a renaissance with it so um been around for a little while but uh not a lot of teams employ it but it's it's pretty interesting and lamar jackson's having a lot of success with it out in baltimore uh the last point that i want to make about or at least conversation i want to have coming out of this giants game is we just need to talk about eddie jackson and i got called out on bear with me a little bit for being a Eddie Jackson fan, which I know you are as well. This is a pro Eddie Jackson podcast. We will hear nothing, nothing other than that here. But it was an interesting it, – it, it's unfolded in an interesting way this year. They brought in another guy in Ha Clinton Dix, who has free safety uh, skill set just like Eddie Jackson. And when he came in, I thought, okay, I can kind of sell myself – with two guys with free safety skills because we can be multiple. We can kind of mix it up. You know, you never know where Jackson's going to be. You never know where Clinton Dix is going to be. You can kind of move them up on the line. You can move them back. You can trick them because they can recover well. They can cover uh, tight ends. They can, you know, they can do a lot of things. And it seems like instead of more creativity that I was hoping for, I'm seeing a little bit more of, Eddie Jackson playing more of a strong safety role, traditional strong safety role. And it seems like he's maybe playing a little slower than what we would expect because maybe he's learning, you know, a new position and he's just not playing fast like we would expect him to when you're just playing on instincts. And I, and I'm wondering if that is why, as you put it, uh, before in a previous episode is why Eddie Jackson's pictures on the side of a milk carton. Are you seeing some issues? Do you think that that's correct? And do you think with Ha Clinton Dix as a free agent, it was just a one year deal that he signed. Uh, do you think that Eddie Jackson moves back to that free safety spot next year? A bunch to unpack there. There's probably more than one thing going on with Eddie Jackson. Obviously, his role changed uh, when the coordinators changed. Fangio played him one way. Pagano plays him another way. Again, that's largely been near the line. So he is learning, if not a new position, at least a new alignment. Now, he played some there uh, at Alabama, but not a ton. He's a very capable tackler, but he didn't look like you were talking about playing fast. He certainly wasn't playing fast, but he also didn't look like he was playing with a ton of energy in the beginning of the season. Now, that can be any number of reasons. It could be because you're 
unsure of your new assignment. It could be that he was hurt a little bit or he just sort of wasn't into it. Um, any of those things could be true. Don't know if if any of them are. The first time he really made an impact this year was the Rams game. He was again playing close to the line. It wasn't that he'd reverted to his old role, but boy, was he whacking guys. Came up, uh, had a couple tackles for loss, a couple of really vigorous tackles right at the line against the run game. Looked like a factor for the first time all year. So as far as what happens next year or at the end of this season, um, I don't know how they feel about HaHa Clinton Dix. Would it be better for Eddie Jackson if he moved back to that deep third um, single high safety role? I think it would because he's extremely gifted there. He's a good box safety. He's a great deep free safety. So for the player, it is better if he moves back to that role where he can show that range pick off those wounded ducks, really showcase the ability to run with the ball in his hands, um, which he's very, very good at. We've seen a lot of evidence of that, um, both in his time at Alabama and his time with the Bears. So it's better for the player. Now, what's better for the Bears is really going to depend on if Clinton Dix is on the move after the season, signs with somebody else, and Jackson slides back into the slot, um, you know, that deep safety slot, who do they replace him with? I don't feel like necessarily that player's on the roster, or if he is, we don't know about it. Could that be a role for um, a guy like Steven Denmark? You know, a big physical guy um, yes. that can play near the line. It could be. Um, is it? And and do we want to see the results of that? Um, right. I, you know, maybe. We don't know. But if they don't have another guy to plug that role, it's a lot less certain if HaHa Clinton Dix leaves. Um, if they find a guy that they like or have a guy on the roster who they've been grooming to to move into that strong side role and, and cover tight end short, support the run, then yeah, it's a very natural move. And I think we'll see a renaissance for Eddie Jackson because he's, he's quite frankly more comfortable back there uh, and more skilled. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. I'm, you know, I, I have thought that uh, haha Clinton Dix has played fairly well yeah, for the most part this year uh, yeah. but I think that robbing Eddie Jackson robbing the Chicago Bears I guess of an all pro performer like Eddie Jackson to uh, move to arguably a less impactful position as strong safety and have him be average if, if that's even fair, like that's not a good move for us. And maybe he can, you know, maybe he starts playing faster and maybe he improves, but is this guy going to beat Jamal Adams? I don't think so. And so why don't we just put him back in a free safety and get Earl Thomas, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of what I'm seeing is this huge downstep for Eddie Jackson because he's playing more so in the strong safety role, which doesn't take advantage of that skill set that makes him an elite performer. And so um, I'm hoping we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, talk about free agency and all that kind of stuff. But I, I hope that a lot of what's happened with, with Eddie Jackson this year is more about role and where he's at on the field and uh, hopefully that gets changed in the off season where you kind of reset who it is, who are the 11, 12 guys, you know, starters on defense that you're going to roll out with and, and where their roles. And, and I, I, if I had to make a prediction on 
November 26, I would say that I think it's more likely than not that he goes back to that role that made him so effective last year. And the, the funny thing is it's typically easier to find the role players to find the role he's playing now. There are definitely more guys right. who can play a, a half hybrid thumper role um, and cover in the short area than guys who can really cover ground and diagnose and have the instincts that Eddie Jackson does in the deep third. That's much more rare. So when you find one of those guys, it seems like you'd plug the other spot um, more easily. And we just haven't seen that. So yeah, I'm I'm hopeful as well that he moves back to what we both consider his more natural position. Um, and also that the Bears find somebody to, to plug an important but less glamorous role in that sort of strong safety that was vacated more so by Adrian Amos when he left. All right, EJ. Well, let's let's uh, let's move on from the Giants. We're gonna take a quick break because someone has to pay for these beers, and then we'll have some fun with the Thanksgiving game and talk about our favorite Thanksgiving foods. All right, EJ. We're back. So here's the thing: the Bears play the Lions on Thanksgiving. I kind of like it. I kind of like the Bears playing the Lions on Thanksgiving. It's kind of fun. Um, we know the lions. We just saw him, uh, Matthew Stafford. I mean, all signs point to that guy's going on the IR and let's just, let's just be very clear. The injury that he has is the, is the exact same injury that I had. Why? And that's why I stopped playing football. Don't come back this year to a terrible lions team. Matthew Stafford heal up, man. Like just, just, it's not worth it. That that's, that's my honest, uh, message to Lions fans and Matthew Stafford is, dude, just just don't do it. So I, I, I can't see it happening. I think we're probably looking at Jeff Driscoll or possibly a third-string quarterback if Mr. Driscoll's hamstring uh, acts up and is not going to allow him to play on a short week. So we know what the Lions are. We just saw them. They're not a good football team. They just lost to Washington. Oof, that's not good. Um, Bears are, I think, more talented. Despite all the struggles this year, all the negativity, they're still the better team. Uh, what more do we really want to talk about with what we need to do? Uh, well, what I need to do is eat eat food. But what do the Bears need to do on Thursday to come away with a win? Uh, I would say eat a little bit of food before the game, but a lot more after, hopefully. Um, mm -hmm. They need to play as well on defense as they have for the last couple of weeks. I would love to see them shut down that late fourth quarter score that they always give up. But even if they don't, the defense has been playing very, very well. It's rated anywhere between fourth and seventh in the league, depending on what stat you choose as primary. And that's well enough to win in the NFL on a week-to-week -week basis. I'd like to see a little bit more pass rush. I'd like to see them put either a second-string or third-string quarterback on the ground more than they have uh, in the past couple of weeks. That would certainly help. It's going to pressure some bad throws. Again, capitalize on those bad throws. We were really hoping they'd do it against Daniel Jones. They had some opportunities. Looked pretty good, but they weren't able to... Weren't able to seal the deal there. It seems like one of those things with the Bears when, you know, nothing's going right, nothing's going right. You get some strange penalty calls. You don't get the benefit of the doubt. You don't quite complete the interception. Um, 
Bears have been close. Uh, we talked about some almost sacks that they had against the Giants. It'd be nice to see them complete those sacks against the Lions. It would make it a much different game. Um, the Lions are not going to come out of the gate with a ton of firepower with either Jeff Driscoll um, or their third-string quarterback. I'm not sure whether it's David Blue or Blue, B-L-O-U-G-H, out of Purdue. I was saying bluff in my head, yeah. but that sounds that sounds like not a good name for a quarterback yeah. either. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. That's, that's how far down he was. He ended up being a UDFA. He had a decent career at Purdue, but um, I, I doubt very highly that either of those guys is going to come out, spark the Lions offense to a big offensive explosion. So if the Bears defense plays pretty well, they're going to look even better uh, than normal against a somewhat toothless Lions team. Uh, so if they continue there, I think they'll be all right. Now, Eddie Pinheiro still has to hit kicks. Um, those are going to be necessary the rest of the way this year. Uh, the bears offense, obviously not going to carry the day all by itself. And when the bears do get the ball down far enough, um, for Pinheiro to make an attempt, he really does have to put it through because the bears aren't going to win big. But if they miss out on those points, uh, it sets them up in a very different position. If they get some points early, if they rattle the Lions, they get an early turnover, they throw a bunch of sacks and sort of rattle a a rookie or less experienced quarterback, um, the game could turn fairly quickly, even though it's on the road. Yeah, and, you know, a good thing with Pinero is that it is an indoor stadium, and so it's not like the elements are going to impact this, his kicking much. So, uh, you know, I, I... I just we just saw these guys and I think the fact that maybe Driscoll's athleticism kind of surprised the Bears a little bit and he was able to extend some plays well now they've seen him and it's a short week most of the times when you see the short week games they sort of recycle game plans and particularly if you're playing a team that you just saw I can imagine that they're going to have a very similar game plan but also hopefully be able to incorporate what they learned just a couple weeks ago. So I don't think the game plan has to change much from the last time uh, that the Bears and Lions squared off, but uh, I would expect or hope at least that Nagy is continuing to incorporate that play action in for Trubisky to make some plays. So he had some success last time. I think he had three touchdown passes. So let's hope for more of the same. This is not a good secondary. And and so I think that there's a real possibility that this one is going to lead to a happy holiday. Um, that's my segue, man. Let's talk about Thanksgiving food. Yeah, because that's your favorite thing in the world. And let's not well, see them run right up the middle. Because, look, Snacks Harrison is really good. And... I don't want to see Nagy be stubborn about this. Uh, you know, I'm I'm fine with sticking with the run, but let's be a little creative about it. Let's try and get a little bit outside because running right at Damon Harrison's a bad idea. So Snacks Harrison, who is a guy who probably likes Thanksgiving very much. Yep. Uh, and I think he's a Patty Curl favorite uh, uh, who really likes big defensive linemen. So um, Snacks Harrison leads us to we're going to talk about our favorite Thanksgiving food. So let's build the ultimate Thanksgiving plate. So let's start off. Now, to me and my family, we always had turkey. I would assume that that's the majority of Americans. Is that something that you also participate in, or do you guys have like smoked salmon out in the Pacific Northwest? Uh, We've done both. Uh, Typically turkey. Growing up, absolutely turkey have cooked 
uh, many turkeys myself in lots of different ways, do love uh, a beautifully cooked bird. Um, yes, I've had them deep fried. Yes, I've had them smoked. Um, I've brined them. Um, done, done just about everything to, to turkey at one point or another and love it. In fact, we just had Friendsgiving this weekend and we cooked a turkey. Uh, about a 15-pounder came out really, really nice. I actually had some before we started recording, um, so I'm already in leftovers mode. I'm, I'm prepping. Uh, but it's nice to change it up a little bit. A couple of years ago, uh, we had a smaller Thanksgiving. We didn't have any family out for it, so it was only going to be about five of us. And we decided, hey, let's let's do a Northwest theme. And so we did um, very large pan scallops and um, just a nice, really nice plank of uh, some coho salmon that we did on the barbecue. And then we did all the traditional sides. And I got to say, that was nice, too. Um, you know, uh, missed the turkey leftovers a little bit, but it was it was nice not to have to clean up all the carcass and everything else. But we still had gravy and potatoes, so I'm I'm down for either. I'm pretty omnivorous at Thanksgiving. Um, I love trying new things. Um, the only anchor in my Thanksgiving lineup is mashed potatoes. I'm I'm half Irish, and uh, yeah, <laughs> mashed potatoes don't go anywhere. I make a very mean mashed potatoes, so on my ultimate plate, my mashed potatoes have a reserved spot, and uh, don't try and push those off to your detriment. Oh, I yeah, I have uh, a lot of British Isles blood and Irish blood, so mashed potatoes are big for me, too, and I honestly... If I was just given some turkey and some mashed potatoes and gravy, I would be fine. That's honestly, that's, I would not be disappointed walking away from my entree thinking I got cheated. Like that's <laughs> honestly enough for me. Yep. Uh, and so, yeah, no, I, I, so it sounds like you're pro mashed potatoes and gravy. Now, if you had to choose that between mashed potatoes and gravy and do you call it dressing or do you call it stuff? That's a great question. We had that question at work this week to see if there was any sort of geographical bias. I've heard it called both, but it's always been called stuffing in my family. Yeah, same here. I think that's probably the Midwest. I think at uh, South, you, you go dressing, right? I think it's a uh, North-South thing. Uh, it could be. I mean, when I was in Atlanta for Thanksgiving one year, my um, – uh, let's see, my brother-in-law's family, uh, my sister's husband, is from Atlanta, and I uh, was down there one year. Great Thanksgiving. His mom was a chef, so that was fantastic. Um, you know, whipped sweet potato pie and a lot of southern specialties as well. Um, but I think they still called it stuffing, so uh, I felt at home there too. There you go. So what about size? So this is going to be a little, I'm going to probably surprise some people here, but one of my favorite sides, if not the favorite side, is actually Brussels sprouts. Mm. And my wife makes them with Dijon mustard and like balsamic vinegar. Ooh. And like, I I think I eat probably half of what we bring for the entire like extended family. <laughs> I just I just pile them on. I mean, it's always good to eat the dish that your wife brings so that it's empty when she goes home because yeah. like oh hey people liked it right <laughs> but but like i really do enjoy it like that's that's my favorite side and and i know some people don't like brussels sprouts that's fine that just means it's more for me yeah no i'm a brussels sprout fan we don't tend to make them all the time we have had them as a side in the past uh the one i liked the best recently was a honey cayenne and bacon 
okay. Brussels sprouts. So it had a little bit sure. of sweet sour or sweet hot going for it. Um, the yes. Brussels sprouts were um, broiled, so they had a little bit of roasted crisp to them. The honey added a little bit almost of a glaze or caramelization on the outside. Then you had a little bit of uh, like chili powder, chili flake in there to, to spice it up a little bit. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I think that's the key. You don't want to overcook that. You don't want mushy no, Brussels no, no, sprouts. No. So, yeah, yeah, and that flavor combination makes a lot of sense. A little heat, a little sweet. And it's, you know, it's, it's uh, definitely something that to look into. So, what about any other side that you kind of have to have to make your Thanksgiving right? Uh, I'm I'm with you that mashed potatoes is my have to have side and after that I just like seeing what people come up with. I usually try and encourage folks um and, and myself, I usually try and go out and find a recipe that I haven't tried before. Thanksgiving, I like to cook. I don't get time to do it. Thanksgiving is one of the few times of the year where I actually have, you know, hours. Um, I don't want to say uninterrupted, but hours hooked together that I can cook with. So I try and look something up. I've done everything from casserole type things, uh, variations on green bean bakes. Um, I like green beans. Uh, I did a, a roasted vegetable tray of, of really sort of... Um, uh, less favored or, or less common vegetables. Um, that was probably five or six years ago. I did some kohlrabi. I did some parsnip, turnip, and and um, I did it pretty simply. I just did you know olive oil. You know, chopped it into cubes, uh, tossed it in some olive oil, add some lemon pepper and garlic salt, and again just you know roasted them in the in the oven and uh, threw some beets in there for some color. And everybody loved them, and it was again really simple to make, but it'll just something a little bit different. So I'm, I'm, and I like, you know, I like a good stuffing. I've had a lot of different stuffings. Um, you mentioned gravy before. I want to get your thoughts on gravy because gravy tends to be a, a dividing line at Thanksgiving. Okay, well, how so? Uh, well, first off, white white gravy or brown gravy? Sure, I'll eat whichever. I don't have a problem with either one i like both but i would say for the most part most of my life has been spent in the brown gravy world yeah yeah i'm i'm with you brown gravy white gravy tends to be a breakfast thing i'm not a fan of white gravy as much um but uh now your brown gravy do you like how do you how do you like your brown gravy what's what's gravy got to be for you to for you to be into it uh, I, I guess I don't know how to answer that. I mean, generally it just needs to be not lumpy. Okay. And uh, some, some folks <laughs> like their lumps. Okay. All right. No, I, uh, yeah, just, just, uh, good consistency. And, um, I, I assume that there's different stock that goes into That's it. True. I've never made gravy. So I don't oh, know. there you go. Uh, yeah. So that we're exposing my uh, lack of cooking ex- experience That's here. All right. Again, the, I'm more of an. Eater, I was going to say so the most ex, the most important experience on Thanksgiving is the eating experience. Um, yeah, no, my mom has has typically made the gravy, but I I do know how to make my mom's gravy because I wanted to make sure that um, I could carry that forward because she always made very good gravy and she always said, "Oh, it's so easy." And the first time I tried to make it, I was like, "Mom, this isn't easy." And she's like, "Well, I've just done it a million times." So, yeah, that's true. So I've done it enough times now that I can do it. Um, basically, a you know. Uh, turkey stock gravy you're taking the drippings from the turkey and and folding them in and making gravy out of it that's one way to do it i've had a sausage gravy um that i liked very much that was down south in atlanta um added a little bit of a little bit of spice to the gravy a little bit more than sort of your average pepper so 
yeah, I don't know. Some people are just very particular about their gravy, one way or another. I've I like a range of gravies, um, and not a ton of it. I don't I don't cover everything in gravy, um, but uh, I did cover my turkey leftovers tonight in turkey gravy and added in a little bit of the stuffing we had and just kind of mixed that up and made uh, almost like an SOS. Just put it on a piece of toast, and um, it was very very good. Yeah. Now we're talking, and I will mention that. Uh... Um, and this is a very specific thing, and I'm going to mention it because I'm pretty sure that my my mother will be listening to this as she drives down to see me <laughs> on Saturday. Hi, uh, mom. Maybe she'll listen to it before. <laughs> but if my mom made deviled eggs, I'm going to eat at least a half a dozen, Ugh. probably more. Yeah, because they're delicious. If I'm anywhere else and there's deviled eggs. I usually try one to see if it's a similar recipe, yep. and I'm always disappointed. Well, there you go. Mom Mom knows best on certain things. Uh, that is her specialty. Sweet. So absolutely. So if, if, it's, if it's Julie's deviled eggs, that is going to take up a big portion of my calories for the day. Nice. And we can't forget, we talked about the plate. Oh, any greens you like? We talked a little bit about green beans. Well, but any greens you like at, at Thanksgiving? It's not something that is generally in the offering. I mean, if you're just talking green vegetables, Brussels sprouts, I already mentioned sure. those. But like, you know, uh, you know, we don't traditionally have any kind of cooked greens like okay. collard greens yep. or anything like that. That's not something I've. I mean, I I like them when I go get barbecue. Sure. You know, that's generally where I find those as sides. But I I don't see them at Thanksgiving very often. Fair enough. Just asking. Some some folks no, I, do I spinach and uh, like I, I did a spinach and onion mix with a little bit of baked cheese on top. That was that was good. Um, but yeah, some some folks have greens that are absolutely part, and some folks are like greens. <laughs> it's Thanksgiving. What are you talking about? Yeah, I, I think most you know growing up, most of the stuff was you know salads that had either you know mayonnaise or you know fruit salads with whipped cream as their base, right? right. Like that's the kind of oh, yeah. family family I grew up in. You bet. All right, so the well, we got two other categories. Oh yeah, um, oh yeah. And I'm not sure which is more important, but we're going to start with the dessert. We're going to start with pie. Oh yeah. And is the so, dessert pie? Is a great question because some families do other things for desserts, but uh, it was always pie, and usually oh. multiple pies for us growing up. Yes. Right. Yes, I, I, I agree with that. There might be other options for desserts, but there was always a pumpkin pie or multiple pumpkin pies, depending on how big the family was that, you know, gather around the table yeah. and maybe some other kind of pie, like an apple pie, maybe a cherry pie. Uh, I did not really get introduced to pecan pie until I got married. Yep. And so that's a little bit newer for me, uh, but uh, that's something that's now part of my life. And so I'm curious, what's your go-to? What do you feel like you have to have to make it a good Thanksgiving? Uh, my answer is the classic Thanksgiving answer, and it is both. <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I have to have some pumpkin. I, I don't have to have pecan. Now, look, when I went to just outside Georgia, uh, where my sister's uh, in-laws lived, they did you know legit local pecan pie with maple and oh, right. Yeah, that was to die for. It was fantastic. Um, 
I don't have to have that. I have to have a piece of pumpkin pie. Um, typically homemade. Store-bought's okay, but um, my mom always baked growing up, so we always had... Um, she made crust from scratch as well, so handmade pumpkin pie. And then the other one in our house um, growing up in upstate New York for the most part, um, apple. Gotta have apple. And your your mom makes deviled eggs. My mom makes apple pie. And my sure. mom's apple pie is fantastic. I, I, you know, she's probably going to listen to this as well, but I've, I've had other pies that surpassed her pies, but they have been few and far between. And I've eaten a lot of apple pie in my life, but I, I definitely got to feel like I have a piece of each or it's not Thanksgiving. And really the, the biggest tradition in our house around pie is pie for breakfast the next day. Okay. Okay, I can I can get around that concept. Yeah, that's, that that's a huge that. thing in our house. And mom again would make um, handmade whipped cream, uh, no, just out of heavy cream. Oh, absolutely. And she would occasionally put uh, like a little bit of maple syrup in it, or a little bit of bourbon in it, or Irish whiskey. Being we're an Irish family, um, something to flavor that up. A little bit of fresh ground, maybe even chocolate over the top of it, and you throw some of that on a piece of pumpkin pie and have that for breakfast, cold. Um, I know some people like their apple pie reheated with a piece of cheese on it, uh, having grown up mm. in dairy company. Okay. I, I get that. You know, that's not my way of doing it, but a little bit of that, um, you know, hand whipped whipped cream from heavy cream, usually fresh from the dairy on top of a completely handmade apple pie. Um, and I am set and, and you better believe that my kids have been introduced to the concept of apple pie for breakfast. <laughs> it's got apples i'll get it back exactly it's got uh, most of the food groups you put dairy on it you got some crust and some apples you're you're, you're pretty much killing it it reminds me of the movie thank you for smoking yes uh, if you have not watched that you should i have but there's a moment where one of the uh characters orders a piece of apple pie with a piece of american cheese off on the top and has a little uh toothpick flag of the american flag and he just says it's american it's american um, <laughs> uh yeah for me i so my mother-in-law makes a chocolate pecan pie oh boy that sounds fantastic it's, it's she cuts it into really small pieces because it's really rich sure. and so i just kind of laugh at that and i take two pieces <laughs> to make go back to a full piece um, i'll show you <laughs> it, it is uh it's it's become the one that i have to have yeah and that sounds like one not to up, miss for sure yes absolutely and to the point where i i actually don't do the pumpkin anymore because i just want that one and uh it is rich and so when i go do the full one piece or the two small pieces then i really lose my ability to eat more pie and so it's <laughs> at the at, you know i could i could take a half a piece and a piece of pumpkin pie or i could take you know the full piece and i take the full piece it's that good and so that's that's kind of my pie choice now and i've been down to new orleans a number of times and go to some of these old diners and order pecan pie and i've just come to really like it and so yeah but that's mm-hmm. down in the south where they know they know what they're doing and so um, yeah, so that's that's something I've really come to enjoy, and I don't necessarily miss the pumpkin pie, but uh, for me, the that that chocolate pecan pie. Whew, yeah, our dessert good. for friendsgiving this weekend was a uh, caramel apple slab 
uh, is what they called it. And it is a, it's kind of like a pie, uh, like a rectangular pie. So it's a, it's a pastry. It's fairly thin. It's filled with apples, just like an apple pie, but it, it's got a little bit of layered caramel, um, over the top of the crust. And, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. I, I like that. It's, it, um, was not homemade. It was store-bought, but it, it was very, very tasty. All right. Last but not least, the last category that we want to talk about is beverage. So you get together mm-hmm. with your family. You know, maybe someone brings a box of wine. <laughs> maybe maybe someone brings a case oh, of Bushlight or yikes. PBR yeah. or something, right? So, like, you know, it might be up to you to bring something good to make sure that you have something good to drink. So what do you bring uh, into Thanksgiving? Yeah, so – uh, seems like the back porch or the garage, depending on what your climate is, was always the beverage station because that's where you could keep a lot of beverages cold and not have them clog up the fridge so you'd have room for leftovers and all that. So it always seemed like there was either a cooler if it, you're in a warmer climate or for us at this time of year, um, living in northern climates, it's always you know pretty chilly in the garage. And so that's where you'd find, you know, seltzers and juice boxes for the kids and, you know, maybe that box of wine and, and some sodas and, you know, all the extra beers would be out there as well. So that was always the place to kind of go and pick through and look at all the, you know, in my family, like 15 different beverage choices. But um, beverage for me, I'm definitely going to bring a good beer. I'm probably going to bring a darker and a lighter Um something a little bit brighter for folks that don't like the stouts and the porters and whatever else. And then a good, at this time of year, there's just so many good winter beers. I'm going to bring a good winter beer as well. Um, I've got two or three in the fridge right now. The Mocha Death I'm drinking, quite frankly, would be a really nice dark winter beer. But beverage Mm. for my family is really important because one of the big traditions in my family, actually my favorite tradition um, from Thanksgiving in my family is before dinner occurs, everybody that's present sort of gathers in a in a big circle wherever that's possible. It used to be possible in our in our big kitchen, in our current kitchen. That's not quite the thing. We have to sort of do it around the dining room table. But everybody gets their beverage of choice, whether that's, you know, seltzer for the kids or eggnog or cider or wine or beer for the adults. And um, we all go around the room, and as the turkey is um, uh, either being stuffed or cut, uh, depends on when you do it, Uh, everybody says one thing that they're thankful for from the year um, and just shares it with the group. And everybody does that with a beverage. And there's a lot of toasting and sort of cheering and, you know, uh, some tears and some laughs and and good stuff. But that's my favorite thing. And and everybody has their favorite beverage while they do it. And it's just fun to listen to to everybody sort of, you know, take stock of their life and, and say one thing, big or small, that they really enjoy. Yeah, that's excellent. Uh, I don't think I can really top that sentimental note. But for me, I actually don't really like to drink beer during Thanksgiving because I feel like it kind of takes <gasps> up Sorry, and I'm just kidding. I'm just you kidding. Ha- yeah, 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 yeah. So if you haven't noticed the theme here, I probably overeat uh, a lot, but I definitely overeat on Thanksgiving. And so for me, it is kind of strategic that I don't really want to like get full. So your, off of your beverage of choice is Alka-Seltzer <laughs> after it? <laughs> well, a little bit of that probably. But for me, I honestly, I'll, I'll find myself drinking like a, well, I mean, I drink water a lot anyway, but you know, like I probably have a Coke, but for me, honestly, I, I like a little yeah, bit of whiskey. I'm with you there. Irish whiskey when we're cooking yeah. and beer later on is the thing. 
nothing wrong with that plan. So that's kind of my tip. I would say uh, overall um, what I'm thankful for in this bear season is one, the bobbleheads that they gave away at stadiums and that I'm overpaying for on the secondary market uh, via eBay, but I'm putting that together. Uh, Two, I'm very thankful that we launched this podcast together. This has been a lot of fun. We are 31 episodes into this uh, adventure, and we've been able to connect with a lot of people through the website, through Twitter. And thank you, everybody that listens to us for the first time or regularly. We really appreciate it, and it's been a lot of fun to come to you and uh, talk about Bears football. Yeah, I'll just pile onto that with a story. Um, I, When I'm not able to catch a Bears game um, at my closest local bar, which is walking distance, uh, if it's not a, you know, a Sunday night game or a Monday night game or a, a game that I can see on national television, I've got to go to a bar that's got uh, NFL Sunday ticket. And I've been going to the same one pretty regularly. It's a little bit farther north, not not far, still really really close to my house. And there's fans from all over. It's kind of fun because there's displaced, you know, Raiders fans and Patriot fans and Baltimore fans, and just everybody's there to see their team. And there weren't a lot of Bears fans. In the beginning of the season, there were a few more. (laughs) The early games, there were probably maybe four or five Bears fans there for the game. But over the course of this year, I think we can agree it's not been uh, what we all expected. And it thinned out, but one guy kept coming. And we kind of see each other across the bar and just nod. I'd be wearing my Windy City gridiron t-shirt. And, you know, he knew I was a Bears fan. And, you know, we kind of acknowledged. And finally, last week... uh, during the Rams game, I went up and I said, hey, man, I see you here every week. I should just introduce myself, you know, and his name's Jeremy. So shout out to Jeremy. And I uh, saw him again there this week uh, for the Giants game. We talked a little bit. And uh, when he got up to leave at the end of the game, he leaned over and he said, uh, so, man, uh, I listen to your podcast now. And I said, really? Because um, we'd talked about it sort of only briefly. I said, what do you think? And he said, oh, it's a good listen. Yeah, yeah, I like it. And I was like, thanks, man. That's awesome. So shout out to Jeremy. Hope you're listening this week as well. I'm sure I'll see you on Sunday for the next game. Or uh, Actually, I probably won't see you because we're doing Thanksgiving. So I don't know that I'll be watching the Thanksgiving game uh, at my local bar. But if I miss you for that one, I'll see you for the next one. And uh, thanks for hanging in there. Thanks for being one of the faithful. And uh, always good to see you every week. Um, we'll, uh, we'll get to celebrate extra hard when the Bears are doing really well. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's talk about the beers real quick, and then let's get out of here and let everybody enjoy their Thanksgiving. So, for me, again, um, this is a this is an old favorite, Founders Dirty Bastard Scotch Ale, something that's definitely got a kick to it in terms of eight and a half percent alcohol, but it's super smooth. I don't, I mean, I don't taste the alcohol in it at all, and I think it's just a, a really good beer at a style that you don't see very often. So, uh, in honor of Bears going to Michigan. I'm drinking Founders, so nice. all good here. So Iron Horse Brewery out of Ellensburg, Washington, over on the east side of the state, Mocha Death. Um, one of my all-time favorites because it is just so incredibly well-balanced, and it takes what is a very good beer, Irish Death, and somehow makes it much better. Uh, and that's really rare. There's a lot of alternate beer styles out there where they either take a regular and try and make it an imperial or they, you know, take a summer and try and make it a winter or something like that. And, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But this one is just exceptional in the fact that Irish Death is great and Mocha Death is, oh, my God, it's available. I have to go get some. So that espresso cocoa combination, uh, again, balanced with just enough of the sort of savory in the beer 
very drinkable, only 7% by volume, so not super loaded as a, as a winter or a dark, warmer beer goes. Um, can't recommend it highly enough. Everybody I've ever given it to uh, has, has come back with something like, wow, there's a lot going on there, but it all works. And they're so right. It's just a great, great beer. So, as usual, uh, you can follow Jeff and I's work on Windy City Gridiron. There will be a lot up there, even on Thanksgiving. The rest of the writers working hard. The podcast channel is chock full. I was on Bear With Me this week with Robert Schmitz doing the game wrap-up. Of course, Bill Zimmerman's got his podcast as well. Um, you'll always find Bears Over Beers there. You can follow Jeff at Gridironborn on Twitter. Myself at the Draftsman FB, as in football. Um, we've been putting a lot of fun stuff up on Twitter, trying to keep the season light because there's not necessarily great stuff to talk about, but I did put up something this week about uh, post your favorite bears uh, from over the years. Just make a team out of all your favorite bears. Doesn't ha- doesn't have to be the best or the most statistically significant, just your favorites. Um, and some people took that the opposite direction and made a least favorite list. I made one of those as well. So if you want to chip in, hop on Twitter, um, throw up some examples of that, but mostly just travel safe if you're heading out of town for Thanksgiving. I hope you get some great time with family, friends, loved ones, get to eat some great food, enjoy whatever your favorite pie and beverage is, and Bear down for a victory against the Lions. 